Amen. If you would remain standing in honor of God's word at all of our locations, we're going to 2 Samuel chapter number 9, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, as we continue in our series, Good, Good Father. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king says, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both of his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then the king sent and brought him to the house out of the house of Micah, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. You shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belong to the house of his father Saul. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. Today we are continuing in our series, Good, Good Father. And our objective has been to raise our consciousness of God's goodness. Sometimes we can go through life and we can see experiences or have experiences or watch what's happening on the news or in other people's lives or the things that we're going through. And we begin to expect bad things to happen. There's a saying that's out there, it's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops. And that's a horrible saying if you're a believer. The better saying would be, it's just a matter of time before I see the goodness of God. It's just a matter of time before God turns this situation around. And so this series is all about raising our expectation, not for bad things, but for the goodness of God to be experienced in our life. Because that's what God wants more than anything else. And so today I want to talk to you from the goodness of subject, the search is on. The search is on. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this message relevant and real to every single person? Would you speak to each heart here at our production campus, at our Waterbury location, at all of our locations, as I minister by your grace? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. One of the most commonly known promises in the Word of God is Psalm 23, verse number 6. It says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love this promise because it gives us a glimpse into the goodness of God when it says, shall follow me all the days of my life. And the word is follow. That's, that's really operative here. And this means to chase down. It means to hunt down. And it means to hunt down with hostile intent. In other words, what God is saying here is that he wants to hunt our lives down to the point where we are overtaken with this goodness that comes from another world. God is so intent on our life experiencing goodness. He is searching for opportunities to show us his goodness. And if you don't believe that, that that's how our father is, somebody on the search for opportunities to do good in our lives, all you need to do is look at Jesus. How many believe that Jesus was a picture of the Father here on earth? How many of you believe that? That's what the scripture says, right? It says that he was the express image of the Father. Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in Acts chapter 10, verse number 38, here's what the scripture says. It says, how God, speaking of the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went about, and I love this, doing good. And healing all those who are oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice what the hobby of Jesus was when he walked the earth. He went around looking for opportunities to do good to people. Well, if Jesus did that back then, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how many of you know he's looking for opportunities to do good in your life? And that's really what we're trying to study here, to get our focus on the good things that God is searching to do in our lives. I believe the search is on. I believe God every single day is looking for somebody that he can show his goodness to. And God wants us to receive this so much that he puts stories in the Bible to emphasize to us this search to show his goodness to all of us who love him. And one of those stories is the story that we read in our opening text, the story of David and Mephibosheth. David, and you'll see this as we go through, is really a type of the father, and Mephibosheth is really a type of us. And so this story is not so much about how this king showed goodness to this man or this this crippled man by the name of Mephibosheth, but it's to show us how God our Father wants to show his goodness to us. And we learn many things in the story about the goodness of God. The first thing that we learn, number one on your outline, is that the goodness of God is for sharing sharing. As we come to the text, we find David, an unlikely king. David came through a lot in order to get to the place where he was the unquestioned king in Israel. Right at this particular time, Israel has just gone through civil war, and there was a fight for the throne. There was people vying for the throne, and David, because of his military might and expertise, was able to fight his way through and get to the top. How many of you know in order to get to the top, it's a fight? You know, success doesn't just happen. You gotta work hard for it. You gotta fight for it. And so David fights his way through the civil war. He fights his way through assassination attempts by his father-in-law on his way to the throne. His father-in-law was Saul. And through assassination attempts and through civil war, David makes it to the very top. And by the way, never be jealous of where somebody is unless you're jealous of what they went through in order to get there. A lot of times we look at people where they are and we think, well, they've got it made and look at them and, you know, they got good breaks and so on and so forth. And I always think whenever somebody is in a position of prominence and influence, I I think, what did 
they have to go through in order to get there. Because nothing comes easy in life. And so don't envy where somebody is unless you're envious of where they've been. And so you remember the story. David fights his way through. But I want you to know that the primary reason why David made it to be king was not because he was a great and mighty warrior. It wasn't because he knew how to fight. Because there's a lot of people that know how to fight that never make it. The difference is the calling and the choosing of God. God hand-selected David. You remember the story when, when uh, Samuel went to the house of Jesse? Went to the house of Jesse, David's father, to anoint Israel's next king. And he went that he was taken by the physical appearance and the custom of the day of, of, of one of Samuel's, uh, of one of Jesse's kids. And he almost anointed the wrong person, Iliam, who was David's oldest brother. How many of you know just because you're anointed doesn't mean you can't make a mistake, right? He was fully anointed. He was God's prophet. But he walked in there and he almost anointed the wrong person. He chose the eldest son. But the oil wouldn't flow. And so what did he do? He called in the next six brothers of David for a total of seven. And he tried to anoint each and every one of them. But the oil would not flow. And finally he asked a question. He said to Jesse, do you have anybody else? Is there a number eight? And Jesse the father said, well, he's just. But how many of you know the just was God's man. How many of you know God likes to anoint? God likes to choose the just justs in life. He likes to choose the number eights and make the number eights into really greats. That's who God is into, the undervalued, the, the overlooked. God wants those people to be the people that excel in life. And so the oil would not flow until David got in the right position. That encouraged me because how many of you know sometimes in life people will try to steal your blessing? People will try to get what belongs to you. But here's what I've learned. If God's got something for me, nobody can take what God has for me. The oil won't flow unless I'm under the oil. And the same is true of your life. And so when David arrives there, the oil begins to flow. By the way, how do you know you've got the right person in any particular relationship? Is the oil flowing? Is is it working? Are you hitting on all cylinders? When you get the right people in the right place, the oil begins to flow. You got to get around the right folks in your life. You got to, and you've heard me teach this to you before. Sometimes the greatest thing that you can have in life is the gift of goodbye. There are certain people you have to, I wish you the best. Right? Because why? Your destiny is at stake. What God has called you to is at stake. When the right people are in the right place, the oil begins to flow. And so David emerges as Israel's unquestioned king. Yes, because he had gifts and talents, but more so because he was hand-selected by God. He was what I like to say, he was a made man. And when you're a made man, nothing can stop you except you. And so David is there. He's in the palace. He's on the throne. This is his first act as king. And he says, is there anyone that I could show God's goodness to? Because God's been so good to me. I believe he's having one of those pinch me and let me know it's real experiences. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you can't believe that you're blessed the way that you're blessed because you know you? 
Anybody else know them? And I'm like, I just can't believe God's blessed me anyway, you know. And I think it's good for us to have those pinch me and let me know that it's real moments. And David is like, listen, I know I should have been here. Everybody thinks that I'm a mighty man of war, you know. But I know the bear should have killed me. I know the lion should have killed me. I know the giant should have killed me. I know Saul should have killed me. I know the civil war should have killed me. I know, God, if you didn't take that rock and grab hold of it, there's no way it would have landed in the giant's forehead. God, I know that the reason why I'm here is not because of me, but it's because you hand-selected me. God, you've been so good to me. God, I was a shepherd boy. God, I was on the wrong side of the tracks. But because you picked me up, God, because you chose me, here I am today, and your goodness is so overwhelming. Is there anybody that I can show God's goodness to? See, here's what he's telling us. God's goodness is for sharing. God doesn't show his goodness to us just so we could hoard the goodness. God doesn't show the goodness, his goodness to us just so we could sit back and enjoy the goodness all by ourselves. God expects us to pass the goodness along. When God's been good to you, you become a steward of that goodness and you begin to have to have the mindset that says, who can I bless? How can I pass this on? How can I touch somebody else? How can I show other people what my heavenly father is like by taking the goodness that he's given me and letting them experience it? That's why next week is our big serve day. You know why we're having a serve day? Because I've determined after 25 years, can you believe it? I'm in ministry actually 27 years already, right? Head pastor here for I think 25 of those 27 years already. And that's where you say, pastor, you kidding me? You look so young to be in ministry. I know, I know, I know. But after all this time in ministry, I thought, God's been too good to this church. He's been too good to this ministry to sit here by ourselves and not show everybody around here the goodness of God unconditioned with nothing in return just to go out there and bless them. If you haven't signed up yet for serve day, there's your plug. There's your opportunity. By the way, can I get one of these? Give me one of these t-shirts. I should have did this at the beginning. If, if you signed up for serve day, you get a free t-shirt. Isn't that awesome? Look at that. And that's the reason why you should sign up. And uh, you can go pick up your t-shirt if you already signed up. Today is waiting for you afterwards. Give me that other stuff. I'm interrupting my sermon for a commercial. I can't believe that. <laughs> Look, we got some other swag there. You don't get this for free if you signed up for serve day. But you can get it. Isn't that nice? Look at that. I would wear that except it's for a woman. It's metrosexual though. But that's really nice. And then look at these other things we got here. Isn't that nice? Real cool. Quickly, hoodies. Another hoodie. How many, anybody want this? Anybody want this? Raise your hand if you want this. You go back to the table and you get it. Okay. (laughs) Praise the Lord. How many of you know that the goodness of God is for sharing, right? God wants us to pass it on. That's why we're doing a big serve day next week. But the second thing that I see in this text that I think is really, really powerful is the goodness of God is searching, searching. In the story, as I said before, David is a type of our heavenly father, and we're a type of Mephibosheth. David has taken over as Israel's unquestioned king, and the custom of the day is when a new regime came in, they would kill off the whole old regime. Anybody living from the old regime, they would have to kill them, literally murder them, 
wipe them off the face of the earth. Why? Because they didn't want their throne to be challenged. And so everybody knows David is now in charge and the, the changing of the guard. And so they're fully expecting him to kill off any living relatives of Saul. Well, the last living relative of Saul was Mephibosheth, who was Saul's son, Jonathan's son. And when David took the throne, all of the servants of Saul and Jonathan knew that David was going to try to kill Mephibosheth. So they scooped him up as a little boy and they darted off to hide from David. And when they were darting off, they fell and he became crippled in both feet. And so now David sends out a search party to go and try to find Mephibosheth. And he searches throughout the entire kingdom. He searches all the way to a place by the name of of Lodabar, which was on the outskirts of the kingdom that David had. And he's not searching, though, to punish him. He's not searching him to do what was deserved under the custom of the time. He's searching for him to show him kindness. You can't tell me this isn't a picture of our heavenly father. You and I, because of our sin, we deserve to be alienated from the father. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But God didn't come to earth in order to punish us. God came to earth in order to show us his goodness. That's the picture here. And David is the perfect person to show us this, why? David was obsessed with the goodness of God. Matter of fact, when you read through the Psalms and you understand that they, they take so much new meaning. Psalm 139, verse number 7, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. He says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What's he saying? He's saying, God, no matter what I do, no matter what, where I flee, no matter where I go, somehow, some way, you always find me. Somehow, some way, you always search for me. And when you show up, God, you do the complete opposite of what I would think you would do. God, instead of punishing me, God, instead of judging me, God, instead of yelling at me, you wrap your arms around me. God, you show me your goodness. God, you lead me back to that place of repentance because you're just so good. That affects Psalm 23, our f famous psalm. We read it, a little bit of it. My favorite verse in it is verse 6. But most of us, when we look at that psalm, we remember one verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Why is that the verse that we remember? It's like we have this, this poor conditioning. That verse is not as good by itself unless you put it with the sixth verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's he saying? God, no matter where I find myself, God, when I'm by the still waters, your goodness is there. God, when I'm in, the, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm by green pastures, your goodness is there. God, when I'm chilling, your goodness is there. God, when I'm walking through something that's really, really difficult. God, when life gets hard, when it looks like I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, then I remind myself that surely your goodness is following me. God, you're chasing me down from behind you want you want to capture me with hostile intent not to punish me but to overwhelm my life with your goodness David is the perfect person to issue a search for Mephibosheth so he could show 
him his goodness. And God is screaming out in the story as David issues this kingdom-wide search all the way to the land of Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means wasteland. It means barren place. It means dry place. It's a place that had the stench of death on it. It was the place of dead dreams. It was the place of fear. It was the place of obscurity. And here's what the message is, that God will chase you down into whatever place you find yourself in, wherever you're doing. Why? To show you his goodness. The search is on. God's looking for you. Get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. This is what God wants to do in your life. God's goodness is for searching. But then the next, by the way, let me share a little story with you that, that I think really just gives us a picture of the goodness of God. It's a famous a Greek tragedy. You may, have, you may have heard of it before. It's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. And, and Orpheus and Eurydice, Orpheus was the son of a, Apollo, and he was given this brilliant talent to play an instrument. And his music was so wonderful that anybody that heard his music was enraptured by his music, and they kind of would go into a trance. And he met this beautiful, beautiful uh, fair maiden by the name of Eurydice, and she was of unparalleled beauty, and they fell madly in love, and they got married. And uh, only one year into their marriage, they were walking through the forest and the woods, just enjoying each other's company. And a snake came back, came out and bit Eurydice, and she died. And he tried to move on with life, but he loved her so much that he couldn't. So he went on a quest to the underworld. And in this quest to the underworld, he was intent on uh, rescuing her and pulling her back to life. But the only thing that he had to do was get past all of the demon guards of the underworld. And so the way that he got past them was he would get before them and he would play his instrument and they would become in a trance because of his music and they would let him go by. And so he would go past one underworld guard after another underworld guard until he got all the way to where Eurydice was. And when he got to Eurydice, he was given one uh, condition on being able to take her out. That he would lead her out without looking back on her beauty because she was so beautiful. And so the whole time they were going out through the underworld, she was behind him. And so he made it out first. And then he made the fatal mistake. It's a Greek tragedy. I'm sorry. He made the fatal mistake of turning to help her back. And when he turned to help her back and looked her in the face, she was sucked back into the underworld. And they were never to be seen again. Say, Pastor, that's kind of horrible. Why would you tell us that story? Because I see it from a different perspective. I see it from the king of glory leaving the heavens and coming to the underworld in order to search for you and I, in order to regain a connection with you and I, in order to go after the love of his life. I see it as Jesus going through all of the demon hordes of hell in order to rescue you and I. God is loves us that much. He's searching for us. He laid down everything. He laid down his divinity. He laid down his rights and privileges as God. He put on our human flesh, our earth suit just so he could rescue us the search is on God's looking for you he wants to show you goodness you have to raise your goodness expectation the third thing that I see in the story is that the goodness of God is shocking shocking look at what David does for Mephibosheth he rescues him or releases him from Lodabar which is the place of bondage the king Verse number five, then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Almiel, from Lodabar. Notice, he brought him out of Lodabar, the place of bondage. He rescued him 
Secondly, he returns to him all that belonged to his grandfather. He returned to him his family heritage. He returned to him what was rightfully due to him. All of the lands of Saul, all of the servants of Saul, he returns it. And I see that in verse number 7. David said to him, do not fear, I will surely restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And then he restores to him his rightful place at the table. Verse number 7, the end part says, and you shall eat bread continually at my table. Notice what he does. He releases him from bondage. He returns to him everything that was rightfully his, and he restores to him everything that was broken in his life. Sounds a lot like somebody else I know. Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. Jesus comes along. You remember the story. He walks into the temple, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What was the acceptable year of the Lord? Well, all Israel knew about it. Every 50 years... They would have a time of release, return, and restoration. If you were a slave, you would let go. If you had property that was taken from you, it would be restored to you. If you had anything broken, it would be fixed. Everybody's life was put back to whole again. Here's what Jesus said he came to do. He said he came on a search mission to give us restoration, to give us return, to give us all of the things, uh, to restore to us all of the things that have been broken in our life. This is the goodness of God so that we would experience those things. God is searching. He's seeking. Mephibosheth gets called into the king's chambers, to the king's throne room. And when he's before David, it says he bowed himself. He said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He says, why are you doing this? I can't believe it. I I can't fathom why I got nothing to give you. There's, There's nothing that I have that you want. There's nothing that I can do for you. I can't make your, your, your kingship any better than it is. Why are you doing this? He is absolutely shocked by what David has done. You know what I think? I think sometimes it's good to be shocked by the goodness of God. I think it keeps everything in perspective. I think it helps us to realize that it's really not because we're that good. It's really not because we deserve it. It's really not because we're that gifted or that talented or we did this to work for it or to earn it. Those are all things that are important. But at the end of the day, the reason why God shows us his goodness has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the fact that God is just that good. He loves to show us his goodness. And so it should be shocking in our lives. But then the last thing I want to show you today, and here's the thing that I really hope that you come away with, is God's goodness is a sure thing. God's goodness is not a maybe thing. David said, surely, 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 surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness is a sure thing. I like what David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 13. We sang about it. I will remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
You know why I think the, the, the text is structured like this? Because sometimes you have to choose to remain confident that you'll see the goodness of God. Sometimes life will try to condition you to expect that you'll never see the goodness of God. Sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes life will try to beat you down. And the whole reason that's happening is because the enemy has two plans. The first plan, convince us that there is no God. If he can't win there, the next thing he tries to do, convince us that God is not good. And so all these things happen in life to try to steal our affirmation of the fact that God is good. But David said, you know what? No matter what I've been through, civil war, no matter what I've been through, a fight with a giant, no matter what I've been through, assassination attempts, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, through my ups and through my downs, through my good times and my bad times. I'm going to keep my hope set on the fact that God's goodness will be the last thing that speaks. That's what we need to do. It's a sure thing. A sure thing. Mephibosheth is asking the question, why? Why, 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 why? And the writer of the text is careful to answer the question before it's even asked. Notice what it says here in verse number eight. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number six. Now when Mephibosheth, here's the phrase, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Who was Mephibosheth? He was the son of Jonathan. Notice when it describes Mephibosheth as approaching the throne of David. Before it talks about his approach, it identifies who he was connected to. He was connected to Jonathan, so he was able to approach the throne of David. Verse number seven. So David said, do not fear for I will surely, there it is. It's a sure thing. Show you kindness. Why? For Jonathan, your father's sake. In verse number one, the story begins. Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? What's happening here? David is representative of the father. Mephibosheth is representative of you and me. But there's a third person in the story. And the third person in the story is the connection between Mephibosheth and David. Had there not been this third person, there could be no connection between Mephibosheth, which is us, and David, which is the father. Who was Jonathan? Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. But Jonathan became best friends with David. And Jonathan, when he covenanted in relationship with David, he did two things. He, first of all, relinquished his throne, gave up what belonged to him so that David could have what he was destined to be. But not only that, he exchanged with him everything that he had that was good. David and Jonathan were a lot alike, and they were a lot different. For instance, they were a lot alike. David and Jonathan, they had fathers that disregarded them, fathers that overlooked them. They were on the verge of greatness. They were both men of war. They were both mighty. They were both sensitive to God. But David and Jonathan were also different in many ways. David was from the hood. Jonathan was from the rich side of town. David was a servant. Jonathan had servants. 
David knew how to be served. Jonathan knew how, David knew how to serve. Jonathan knew how to be served. David was somebody that didn't know who to talk to and who to connect with. Jonathan knew all the movers and shakers. David knew peasantry. Jonathan knew protocol. And when Jonathan and David covenanted with one another, Jonathan transferred everything that he had that was good and everything that he had that he knew over to David so that David could become everything that he was destined to be. Who is Jonathan? Jonathan is Jesus. And if you read the story of David and Jonathan, Jonathan specifically gave David three things. He gave him his seat, He gave him his sword, and he gave him his shield. How many of you know when you and I got connected to Jesus, Jesus gave us his seat. We're seated with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He gave us his sword, his word, so that we can fight all of what the enemy throws our way. He gave us his shield so we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He gave up everything that belonged to him, transferred it to us, so that we can have a connection with the Father. And when this happened, when we got this connection, we became candidates for the sure thing of God's goodness. And every time God looks out, he starts searching, who can I show my goodness to today? I mean, think about this. It's Father's Day, and we know dads wake up in all different kinds of moods. Sometimes dad wake up in a grumpy mood. Sometimes dad wakes up in a quiet mood. Sometimes dad wakes up in a don't bother me mood. And, you know, if you talk to most people, very rarely does dad wake up in a happy mood, right? And sometimes we take that, 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 that face that we see on natural dads, which hopefully should be happy if you're a Christian, but often it's not, and we project that onto the face of the father. You know what you should do when you open your eyes in the morning? You should just open your eyes and you should see your heavenly father with a big smile on his face going, I'm in a goodness type of mood today. Today I'm looking for somebody. I'm searching for somebody who I could shower my goodness. And I, I, I've determined long ago, I say, why not me, God? If you're looking for somebody, let it be me. Let your goodness come, God. Pour it out. Shower it, God. We live in the day of God's favor and God's grace. Why not you? Get your goodness mindset in the right place. Realize that God wants to shower you with his goodness. Would you stand to your feet with me?